Om Namo Narayanaya. We're working our way through the Srimad Bhagavatam. We're picking up today in chapter 11, Lord Krishna's entrance into Devaraka. I interrupted this in the last talk um, for some ramble, so we're going to continue it now with verse 16. On hearing that the most dear Krishna was approaching Devaraka Dhamma, magnanimous Vasudeva, Akrura, Ugrasena, Balarama, the superhumanly powerful, Pradyumna, Karodeshna, and Samba, the son of Jambavati, all extremely happy, abandoned resting, sitting, and dining. They hastened toward the Lord on chariots with Brahmanas bearing flowers. Before them were elephants, emblems of good fortune. Conch shells and bugles were sounded, and Vedic hymns were chanted. Thus they offered their respects, which were saturated with affection. At the same time, many hundreds of well-known prostitutes began to proceed on various vehicles. They were all very eager to meet the Lord, and their beautiful faces were decorated with dazzling earrings, which enhanced the beauty of their foreheads. Expert dramatists, artists, dancers, singers, historians, genealogists, and learned speakers all gave their respective contributions, being inspired by the superhuman pastimes of the Lord. Thus they proceeded on and on. Lord Krishna and Lord Vishnu approached them and offered due honor and respect to each and every one of his friends, relatives, and the citizens and all others who came to receive and welcome him. The Almighty Lord greeted everyone present by bowing his head, exchanging greetings, embracing, shaking hands, looking and smiling, giving assurances and awarding benedictions even to the lowest in rank. Then the Lord personally entered the city accompanied by elderly relatives and invalid brahmanas with their wives, all offering benedictions and singing the glories of the Lord. Others also praised the glories of the Lord. When Lord Krishna passed over the public roads, all the ladies from the respectable families of Devaraka went up to the roofs of their palaces just to have a look at the Lord. They considered this to be the greatest festival. The inhabitants of Devaraka were regularly accustomed to look upon the reservoir of all beauty, the infallible Lord, yet they were never set satiated. The Lord's chest is like the abode of the goodness of fortune. His moon-like face is the drinking vessel for eyes which hanker after all that is beautiful. His arms are the resting places for the administrative demigods, and his lotus feet are the refuge of pure devotees who never talk or sing of any subject except his lordship. As the Lord passed along the public lord road of Davaraka, his head was protected from the sunshine by a white umbrella. White feathered fans moved in semicircles, and showers of flowers fell upon the road. His yellow garments and garlands of flowers made it appear as if a dark cloud were surrounded simultaneous by sun, moon, lightning, and rainbows. After entering the house of his father, he was embraced by the mother's present, and the Lord offered his obeisances unto them by placing his head at their feet. The mothers were headed by Devaki, his real mother. The mothers, after embracing their sons, sat him on their laps. Due to pure affection, milk sprang from their breasts. They were overwhelmed with delight, and the tears from their eyes wetted the Lord. Thereafter, the Lord entered his palaces, which were perfect to the fullest extent. His wives lived in them, and they numbered over 16,000. The queens of Sri Krishna rejoiced within their minds to see their husband home after a long period abroad. The queens got up at once from their seats and meditations. As was socially customary, they covered their faces shyly and looked about coyly. 
The insuperable ecstasy was so strong that the queens, who were very shy, first embraced the lord in the innermost recesses of their heart. Then they embraced him visually, and then they sent their sons to embrace him, which is equal to personal embracing. But, O oh, chief among the Burgus, although they tried to restrain their feelings, they inadvertently shed tears. Although Sri Krishna was constantly by their sides, as well as exclusively alone, his feet appeared to them to be newer and newer. The goddess of fortune, although by nature always restless and moving, could not quit the Lord's feet. So what woman can be detached from those feet, having once taken shelter under them? The Lord was pacified after killing those kings who were burdensome to the earth. They were puffed up with their military strength, their horses, elephants, chariots, infantry, etc. He himself was not a party in the fight. He simply created hostility between the powerful administrators, and they fought amongst themselves. It was like the wind, which causes friction between bamboos and sparks of fire. Sri Krishna, out of his causeless mercy, appeared on the planet by his internal potency and enjoyed himself amongst competent women as if he were engaging in mundane affairs. Although the queen's beautiful smiles and furtive glances were all spotless and exciting, and oh, they, they, they could conquer Cupid himself by making him give up his bow in frustration, and although even the tolerant Shiva could fall victim to them, still, despite all their magical feats and attractions, they could not agitate the senses of the Lord. The common materialistic conditioned souls speculate that the Lord is one of them. Out of their ignorance, they think that the Lord is affected by matter, although he is unattached. This is the divinity of Lord Vishnu. He is not affected by the qualities of material nature, even though he is in contact with them. Similarly, the devotees who have taken shelter of the Lord do not become influenced by the material qualities. The simple and delicate women truly thought that Sri Krishna, the beloved husband, followed them and was dominated by them. They were unaware of the extent of the glories of their husband, as the atheists are unaware of him as the supreme controller. And thus ends chapter 11. To me, I read this and it seems mm, unbelievable. I mean, an entire city turns out for him and all his wives, all uh, how many hundred of them are uh, 16 thousand of them are hugging him. Um, I know how many people Amma hugs in a day. That means he spent days and days and days hugging just his wives, which meant it probably took a week or two just to get into the city. It seems a little over the top. And I'm not a scholar. I'm not a guru or a ISKCON teacher or anything like that. So I don't have a definitive answer of how to approach this. Sometimes, though, I don't think it matters. I don't think it's necessarily all about this is a factual story. Because even if it's not factual, the teachings of Krishna are still valid. Unlike in Christianity, where if Jesus never exists, there is no redeeming blood. You cannot, you're no longer saved. But this is, this is not about that. Sometimes I think it may not be factual completely, but it's just so sharing this story of, and it's giving abundance as its theme of Krishna is so amazing that, hey, if there was a city, everyone would be turned into him. You know, if there was a community or what, everyone would be there. And it just shows you how much loved he would be in this scenario. I think that's what's this going for. I don't know. I live in a town of, oh, God, 67, 68,000 people. Yeah, for all of them to turn out would be insane. <laughs> I don't know. 
Anyways, um, thoughts on that. That's why I bring it up. Put some thoughts down below in the comments, and uh, we'll continue to read in the next video, so thanks for hanging out with me. Harry Krishna, Harry Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Harry, 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 Rama, Harry, Rama, 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 Harry, Harry.